Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing awesome. It's great to be here. Last week, Rhonda and I were gone for Mother's Day, so happy belated Mother's Day. We uh, went up to Atlanta, Georgia to visit our daughter and son-in-law and our grandson who turned one years old. It's hard to believe, but we also celebrated Mom's Day there and our 33rd wedding anniversary. Praise the Lord. Pray for Rondi. So we had a great time. We also, the last day we were there, we got to see our uh, grandson Moses walk for the first time. He just took off and he hasn't stopped since. Our daughter's like, what did you do to me? Because now she's got this kid that's just running everywhere. So it's awesome to uh, experience family together. Rondi also went to Philadelphia to visit Bailey and Bailey's doing awesome and and uh, loving Philly and doing the Lord's work in a city that needs Jesus. So keep praying for, for Bailey. Well, <clears throat> this morning, I'm excited to be able to w- open the Word of God together and uh, explore Jesus' teaching to love your neighbor. Now, this is one of the most familiar teachings of Jesus, to love your neighbor. So much so that even unbelievers, they know that Jesus taught Love thy neighbor. And the problem with this, it's become so familiar, it becomes a cliche, right? It's something that we know, but yet do we really do it? It's a little bit like water. We know that water is essential to survival, and we should drink a lot of it. And you hear it all the time, drink more water, but do we do it? And water is not just essential to survival. It's essential to thriving. We think, well, I'm not dead and I'm not dying, so I must have enough water, right? Well, actually, a lot of us, were chronically dehydrated. Not having enough water affects us cognitively. It affects our cardiac function. It affects our digestion, our skin. There's so many things because we're chronically dehydrated. Drink more water. We know this. Don't we know this? Yes, but are we doing it? Now, some of you are. Some of you are carrying around those big gallon jugs of water all day long, (laughs) drinking. I was like, that's a lot of water to drink. I drink a lot of water during the day, but I drink filtered water. It goes into a machine. It it mixes with coffee grounds, and it comes out (laughs) in a cup with a lid. It's super convenient. Sometimes it comes in a, a mug. It fits your hand real nice. And so all day I sip my water, like all day. So I'm getting enough water. All right, I'm being a little silly here. It's kind of true. Um, But Jesus is teaching, love thy neighbor. My fear is doing this series is that when we hear love your neighbor, it's going to go in one ear and what? Out the other. Right? That's not what Jesus intended. Think about this. Jesus taught us, commanded us, love your neighbor, and we go, that's a pretty good idea, and just go about our business. That's not what he intended. Church, I'm afraid that we're not taking Jesus' teachings very seriously to total obedience. And I really believe that if we will totally obey Jesus' teaching to love our neighbor, it will transform your spiritual life. It will transform your family. It will change the world. It will. But we have to hear what the Spirit is saying. So I want to pray before we get into the Word of God 
to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us and prepare our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for this moment that you have given to us. I pray that right now that you would speak your words to our hearts and our minds, open our ears that we may hear your voice and soften our hearts, our hearts that are hard, our hearts that have gone astray. Lord, speak to us, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you would, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. This is an important gospel. Not that the others aren't important. Luke has a certain way of communicating that for me really resonates with me. At the beginning of Luke chapter 10, Luke describes how Jesus sends out 72 of his followers, two by two. He sends them out. This is one of the places that Jesus says the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. And he sends them out, go to the towns before he gets there. He says, proclaim the kingdom of God and pray for people that they would be healed. Go, proclaim the kingdom of God is upon you and pray for people to be healed. It's amazing. And something incredible happens. The 72 come back and they report to Jesus. They said, even the demons are subject to us. They obey our command in your name. Demons. Now, I thought that a little odd. So Jesus sends the disciples out into the harvest to tiptoe through the tulips and just, you know, say Jesus loves you and pray for people. And they come back and they say, demons obey our command. And this is important in this context for us to understand. Because we are at war. We are in a battle with unseen forces, demonic forces who are trying to kill steal and destroy people's lives. And Jesus is sending us out to be their rescue, to bring life to them, to deliver them from demonic forces in their lives. Yes, we are to love them with good deeds, but remember, those good deeds will lead to delivering them from the power of the enemy. Oh, church, how we forget where we are sent. We are in a battle. Now we are to love our neighbor, to do good to them, to meet their needs. But remember, we have an enemy. And I have a feeling that we are ill-equipped. We do not walk out of the door filled with the Holy Spirit, with the sword of God's word in our mouth to defeat the works of the enemy. No, we go out the door thinking that we're on some vacation and a cruise. And we become harassed by the enemy as much as unbelievers are. And we wonder, we wonder, why do I feel so defeated? Oh, church, know that you are at war against the works of the enemy. And Jesus said, go love your enemy neighbor as a response to the work of the enemy. 
So, we are always at battle. Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72 to bring the kingdom of God and healing, and then they return, and the report, even demons are subject to us, but the the battle never stops. Look at verse 25 in chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Does that sound familiar? Who else tested Jesus? For 40 days, the devil. And he keeps coming at Jesus to keep testing him. So this lawyer says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, well, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Now this lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Now this lawyer is not the same kind of lawyer that we think of with a courtroom and a judge and a jury. No, this is an expert in God's law, the the Torah, Mosaic law. They were experts. They knew it. They memorized it. And they were in charge of interpreting it and giving application. But they are also in charge of catching people when they would disobey it. So what was this lawyer trying to do? He's trying to entrap Jesus. He's trying to get Jesus discredited to test him. Now his question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It was not sincere. He wasn't coming to Jesus wondering, how can I have eternal life? He probably felt he was already entitled to to eternal life. I'm an expert in the law. I've memorized the law. I'm a religious leader. Of course I'll have eternal life. And Jesus knew he was trying to trap him, so he turns the table on the lawyer, and he actually exposes the lawyer's heart. Eternal life is found when the heart is transformed. Jesus answers the question with a question. Jesus says, well, what is written in the law? I want us to remember, Jesus does not abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And so he asked the lawyer, well, what's written in the law? And I love that Jesus answers a question with a question. It's just brilliant. You ever walked away from a certain situation and you're like, oh, man, I wish I could be that smart because I know somebody's trying to trap me. Jesus always knew what was behind these questions. So he catches the lawyer in his own trap. He gets the lawyer to say the number one commandment of God is to what? To love To love God and to love people. Was the lawyer loving? No. And he realized, oh, dang it, he got me. What does the law say? To love? As if Jesus says, well, are, are you loving me right now? And the lawyer has to go, okay, wait, wait, what do I do now? I'm going to ask him another question. 
So he asks another question. But he, the lawyer, desiring, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion and went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So which of these three do you think proved to be neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So the lawyer asks this question, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells a story and ends up saying, who is the neighbor? Who is the person being a neighbor? He again changes the perspective. You ask, whom shall I love? And I'm showing you who is loving. And it gets radical here. Because this lawyer, who's a religious leader, is presented with the story of a priest and a Levite, religious leaders, the ones who are the most respectable religious people in Jerusalem, in Israel. These men should be the example of being obedient to the law. And then Jesus tells a story about a Samaritan. Oy vey. A Samaritan? Excuse my dramatics. But I guarantee you the lawyer was thinking the same thing. A Samaritan? A half-breed. At the Babylonian exile, some of the Jews were left and they intermingled with the pagans. They took some of the law of God, Mosaic law, and they rewrote it. And then they established their own temple. These Samaritans were they were worse than pagans. They were half-breeds. They distorted and corrupted the word of God. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They were despicable. Who's the hero of the story? And Jesus says, which one of these three was a good neighbor? The lawyer couldn't even say the Samaritan. He said, well, the one that showed mercy. And Jesus says, you go do likewise. Show mercy. Instead of worrying about who is my neighbor, we need to be concerned with, am I a good neighbor? Instead of asking, whom shall I love? Say, am I loving? Now, 
Jesus is telling this lawyer, go and do likewise. Show mercy. When you see a need, show mercy. Don't walk around. Do likewise. He's saying the same thing to us. Be loving. I want to point out two things about this Samaritan that we can take example of. There are more than two things. I encourage you, read this, study it, examine what did the Samaritan do? What was the quality there? There are other things, but there's two things I want us to be aware of. The Samaritan had compassion and took action. The Samaritan had compassion and took action action the levite the priest had neither if you want to see spiritual growth in your life if you want to see transformation in your life and in your family ask the holy spirit to move you with compassion that leads to action verse 33 says but a samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion. Now what's interesting about this is that this word compassion that's translated from the original language in, into the English word compassion, it's found in other places. Do you remember the parable of the prodigal son? The prodigal son, it's the, the son comes to the father and says, I want my inheritance. Give me my money. And the father gives it to him. And he takes off for years Spends all of his money. Booze, prostitutes, he ends up completely poor and eating with pigs. He drags himself home completely devastated, half naked, smelling like pigs, and he's humbled. And the father sees him far away. And the father runs to the son. And the scripture says he had compassion on the son. He grabbed the son. Oh, but he kissed him and embraced him and he celebrated, My son is back. He was dead and now he's alive. Move with compassion. You know, the, the original meaning of this word that we translate compassion actually means that you are stirred in your gut. If you had seen your child that had disappeared for years come home, wouldn't you be moved? My son is back. You can feel it in your gut. The Samaritan walks by this man. He's moved. He feels it. So I've got to do something. He was moved with compassion, stirred in his gut, and then he took action. Church, my friends, we have to allow the Spirit to move us with compassion, to feel deeply for the needs of our community. Followers of Christ have compassion. They are moved towards the needs of others. Now, you need to pay attention when the Holy Spirit stirs you. 
The Holy Spirit is moving you towards this situation. But I want to give you a warning. Okay? There's two scenarios here. Some of you feel this compassion all the time. I may be one of those. You feel that stirring in your gut. And, and you're like, oh, that need, and then that need, oh, and then this need, oh. It can paralyze you. It's like, I need to do something here, and I need to do something there, I need to do something there. What, how do I do this? It can be paralyzing. You can be overwhelmed with compassion. So much so that you're, you don't know what to do. And so I encourage you, I warn you to pause And pray, Spirit, lead me. Pause and pray just long enough for that feeling to go away so you don't have to do anything. (laughs) I'm kidding. Kind of. Because I've done it. Oh, I'll pray. Oh, Lord, let me pray about that. And then then you don't really get an answer, or you kind of do, and you're like, well, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll pray tomorrow, too. Lord, and then the, sort of that feeling sort of dies down and like 72 hours later, you don't even remember. Listen to me. Don't allow the paralysis to stop you from doing something. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit when and where you should take action. And the other side of it is some of you don't really feel anything. And if you're just honest, you see people's needs and you're like, that's, like, that's kind of a bummer. When was the last time that you were actually stirred in your gut? If that's you, it's like, I don't really feel that. I also want you to pause and pray, Spirit, remove anything and everything in me that is preventing me to actually feel compassion in people's needs. But let me warn you, don't wait for the gut to go to action. Hear me. If you see a need and you can meet that need, then do it. Don't wait for the stirring. If you see a need and you can meet the need, then do it. Even at great cost. The Samaritan spent two days' salary on the, and probably paid twice that on his way back just to take care of that man's needs. Do you think he was on the way to somewhere? He probably had an important appointment. He may have been on his way home to his family, but he allowed himself to be diverted. No, I'm going to go to this man and I'm going to take care of him. I am going to spend the night with him in the inn tending to his wounds at great cost financially, Great cost at his time because he knew he could meet the need. So even if you don't feel the stirring in your gut, if you can meet that need, then do it, even if it's going to cost you. Now, we can't do everything, but hear me, church, we should not do nothing Jesus is speaking. You and I must have compassion 
for the needs of this world. Now, to help with us, the feelings of being overwhelmed or not being moved at all, I want us to change our thinking a little bit. I want us to adopt a new way of thinking. I want us to start thinking small. You start looking at the needs of the community, our city, our world, you can get overwhelmed. I want us to start thinking small. What if every single one of us in this room right now, at the end of the service, went back into our homes and began to be concerned about our actual neighbors, the person to the right, to the left, across the street, behind you. Now, some of you, I know you can't even see your neighbors. It's like two miles down the road. But what if every single, buddy, every single person in this room went home and actually started caring about our actual neighbors, this concentric circle? You see, we can't have compassion if you don't know the need. And you can't know the need if you don't know people. If you don't know your neighbor, you won't do a thing. What if you live in the house that you live because God sent you there? And you're like, well, I like the house. I love the floor plan. I love the, the yard. I, I love the, the plot. You know, I love the neighborhood, the school district. I love the azaleas in the front. Whatever the reason you think you bought your house, what if God sent you there because you have a mission? Because the enemy is trying to kill, steal, and destroy the people's lives right next door to you. You have been sent what if your kid plays on a certain sports team, not because it was the right price and the right coach and the right sport? You may have thought that, but the Holy Spirit was moving you because there is a parent of one of the team members that needs you to love them. What if this whole time the Lord's been orchestrating your life, moving you to where you need to be, because he has you there to love your neighbor. Where you live is not an accident. What if we learned our neighbor's names around us? What if we actually learned their, their, their names? A few summers back, I realized that my neighbor across the street, who I'd probably lived across the street for like eight years, I didn't even know his name. One day I'm getting ready to mow my yard, and he's out in his yard. He just mowed his. Probably the reason why I thought I shouldn't mow mine. <laughs> but he had one of these leaf blowers or a grass blower that you've put on your back, like a backpack. I'm like, man, that thing is awesome. That's like some serious equipment. And I thought, I'm going to go across the street and just talk about his leaf blower because it was impressive to me. So I jokingly said, hey, how much would it cost me to have you come over and, and blow off my yard with that thing? And we started laughing and got to talking and I learned my neighbor's name. His name was Mike. Several days later, Mike was out um, getting his mail at his mailbox and I was outside. I walked across the street. Hi, Mike. 
how are you doing? And we got to talking about what we do for a living, and he found out I'm a pastor. Now, that can go one of two ways. People are like, you're a pastor? Oh, okay, have a good day. Bye. <laughs> or it's like, oh, it opens up certain doors. Many, many weeks later in the summer, I saw Mike. Hey, Mike, how you doing? It's not going so well. A couple weeks ago, my son died of an overdose in my house. I found him dead. Oh, Mike. I'm so sorry. I didn't even know. Happened weeks ago. I had no idea. But I got to share with Mike encourage him. I prayed with my neighbor in his driveway. That would never have happened if I didn't walk across the street one day talking about his leaf blower and learning his name. Now I've got other neighbors. I didn't know their name either. I, I'll be honest with you. Confession. I have a neighbor that lives to the left of us. They've lived there for years. He's told me his name. I forgot. I only learned his name yesterday. Yesterday. Now I know something. He decided to share that they're going on a family vacation and going on a road trip. I said, that's awesome. And I'm praying that I have an open door with Jesse. I don't know what God will do, but now I know his name and his wife and his daughter. So I want to give you a tool to help you know your neighbor's name. Who is my neighbor? You see this box here? This is your house. Just pretend. This is my house. Now some of you, the spaces in between these blocks are going to be like way over here, right? Because there's a lot of chickens and cows and stuff in the middle, but some of us, you know what this is like. There are people right next door to you. These are blank. You can fill them in with the name of your neighbor and their spouse and their children and their dog. Who lives across the street in Caddy Corner behind you? I literally am challenging you to take this on the way out today. You'll get a card. It'll be handed to you. Put this on your refrigerator and start filling in the blanks. Now, if you've got kids at home, share this challenge with them. They'll love it. And, and they're a little more fearless than we are. They'll just go to this neighbor and ring in the doorbell. Hi, what's your name? Uh, Judy, why? I just want to know your name so we can love you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Now, we're a little bit more sophisticated, and we're like, I don't want to seem like a weirdo. i got to create the situation to learn their names, but... You know what? Share this with your family. Write these names down and just pray for them. Now, don't turn them into a project to invite them to church or to get them saved. That will come. Simply write their name down and then have a conversation. Hey, Mike, how's it going? How's your week? Did you get that email from the dang homeowners association? God, they're charging us more money again. Whatever. Get to know your neighbor's names. 
What if every single person in this room did this and started having conversations? The love of Christ through us would spread like a wildfire. We have to have compassion, but that compassion has to move to action. So we look to the story of the Good Samaritan. He took action. Verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. The Samaritan went to him. Unlike the priest, unlike the Levite, the Samaritan did not walk around. He went to him. Our compassion should move us to action. If you can do something, then you should do something. Because compassion without action changes nothing. Compassion without action changes nothing. We have to take action. Compassion is our fuel, but action is what changes the world. Learning your neighbor's names is a small step that can lead to other ways to act. You never know what opportunities may come. It's not an accident that you live where you live. Now, we can also look beyond our neighborhood. You know, there are great needs in our community. We as a church, Discovery Church, is committed to taking our compassion and putting it into action. There are needs in this community that we know we can solve these problems. So this summer, I want you to go to our website. On the homepage, you'll see a button that says Serve. When you hit that, there'll be a drop-down menu. One of those lines is Local Causes. We have a list of ministries that we work with. Now, we financially support these ministries every single month. And for some of them, it is significant. So when you give to Discovery, you're actually giving through Discovery. But the reason that we partner with these ministries is not just to give them money. It's because these ministries want us. They want our time. So you can partner with them by going to them. And I challenge you, you and your family, this summer, look these up on our website. All the contact information is there. You can go and say, hey, I'm from Discovery Church. I want to spend time with your ministry. How can I help? And they will get you to help. Now, you've heard about a lot of these. Aruba Community Clinic providing free health care to those that have none. Dividing bread, food, and clothing. Legacy Family Network, helping families that foster and adopt. Pregnancy Resource Center, those that are pregnant and don't expect it and need resources. And there's another ministry in Collinsville, a mission on Main Street, providing food to those that don't have it. And there's ways that you can serve. So I challenge you this summer, put your faith, put your compassion into action as a couple do it as a married couple take your children and you'll see the transformation that happens in your life and your family i want to close this morning and remind us that we have received compassion from our heavenly father 
You know, the truth of the matter is, is just like that man that was robbed, stripped, beaten, and left half dead, we were in the same condition. But God our Father did not walk around us. He was moved to compassion. And that compassion moved into action. He sent his only son to die in our place that we would be forgiven of our sins in order to have right relationship with him. Your greatest need, my greatest need, is forgiveness of sins to have a right relationship with God. Sure, some of us financially struggling, relationally struggling, physically struggling, mentally struggling, but our greatest need is forgiveness of sins, and the Father had compassion, and he sacrificed his Son. You have received the love of God. It should stir us and fill us with the Spirit Church, I want to challenge you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you, the power of the Holy Spirit to equip you to love your neighbor, to rescue them from the harassment of the devil. And don't get caught up yourself. I challenge you, brother and sister in Christ, be on mission when you love your neighbor You're doing warfare. If you would say that you in this room are not a follower of Jesus, that you're investigating what this means to be a Christian and what it means to follow Jesus, I encourage you. The Father loves you. He is moved with compassion for you. He sees you. And he gave his only son for you so that you could be forgiven of sin, delivered from the stain of sin, and have everlasting life. If you're here this morning and you're asking the same question of the lawyer asked, but with a sincere heart, what must I do to have eternal life? The answer is believe on, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't leave here today. giving your life to Jesus and find out what it means to truly be loved. As the worship team is coming, I want to pray for us. Every eye closed, every head bowed, please, in this room. I just want to pray for every person. Father, I pray for my brother and sister in Christ. Lord, would you empower them by the Holy Spirit to love sacrificially, to be moved with compassion, to action, to love their neighbor Lord, thank you that you've placed them exactly where they are in their neighborhood, at work, their kids' sports teams, wherever they are, God. I pray you fill them with your spirit. We can love our neighbor, Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for those that would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I need to know the love of God. And I pray for you this morning that you know that the father loves you so much that he sent his only son that if you would trust in him believe in the Lord Jesus you will be saved and have eternal life I pray in the name of Jesus that you would receive the forgiveness of sins and the love of the father this morning I pray this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus amen If you need prayer for anything this morning, I'll be down here. 
love to pray for you, but stand up. Let's sing to the Lord.